Let's open our Bibles, if, you're, if you've already closed them, to James chapter 4, verses 11 through 17. That was our scripture reading for today. I thought that would give me a little bit more time. Uh, if I go long, it was a, a good attempt anyway, but it's good to hear uh, James chapter 4, 11 through 17. The title of the message this morning, More Problems with the Tongue. Now, if you're familiar with where we've been in James, uh, that topic came up in the first chapter in verse 19 and also in verse 26, and in the third chapter, verses 1 through 12, and James revisits it. Uh, Last week, we looked at uh, the warning of conflicts, the way we talked about the first three chapters are laid out, six different characteristics of genuine faith, and then as we get into chapter four and five, James lists four warnings for Christians. So again, the warning about conflicts. Today we'll look at the next two warnings, evil speaking and evil rejoicing. Now evil speaking is is what we'll call slander, uh, saying evil things about other believers specifically. And then evil rejoicing is boasting. And that uh, is a little bit differently than what we would think of as boasting or bragging, but it's, it's living every day without any regard for the will of God and his plans for your life. I came across a wise proverb this week, blessed are they who have nothing to say and who cannot be persuaded to say it. Uh, It's not in the Bible, but it's a great proverb. Evil speaking, verses 11 and 12. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? I mentioned before the practical nature of the book of James. The sentences are short and to the point. There are only two sentences that are longer than four lines. There are 108 verses in the five chapters, and 54 have imperatives, 54 imperatives. The passage today begins with one of those imperatives. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. There are several passages in Scripture that we could go to and find what God says about words that are used to damage. The book of Proverbs addresses what we say. There's a list of seven things that God hates in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Three of the seven have to do with lying and sowing discord among the brethren. uh, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, there's our first, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, here's a second, a false witness that speaketh lies, and the third, he that soweth discord among brethren. Words have the power even to destroy the closest of friendships. Proverbs 16, 28, a froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. Proverbs 18, 8, the words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down to the innermost parts of the belly. Some of you have had that experience. You heard something said about you, and it just hurts you right to the stomach. The remedy is to isolate yourself from the one who spreads the gossip. You say, is that really true? Yes, listen to this proverb, uh, 26.20. Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. And so where there is no tail bearer, the strife ceaseth. (laughs) 
I was talking to a good Christian lady who found the secret of putting an end to the gossip that seemingly came every day at work. And she decided to tell those who were sharing information about others by saying, if, if you don't want me to repeat this, please don't tell me. Um, that gets rid of the wood right away, doesn't it? The fire goes out. Spurgeon said, a great lie, if unnoticed, is like a big fish out of water. It dashes and plunges and beats itself to death in a short time. Paul was afraid of what he might find when he visited the church at Corinth. He had heard about the gossiping that took place there. He also knew that they wouldn't want him to find out that they were wrapped up in all the drama that gossip creates. It's in 2 Corinthians 12, 20. For I fear lest when I come I shall find you such as I would, and that I, should, and, and that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not, lest there be debates, those are quarrels, envying, heated jealousy, wraths, those are moments, outbursts of indignation. Strifes, those are mean confrontations that you have with others. Backbitings, defaming someone. Whisperings, slandering someone in secret behind their back. Swellings, pride that puts down others. Tumults, chaos and disorder. That's what he thought. If I show up, that's exactly what I'm going to see. A letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Peter called a person that gossips a busybody. Interesting term. 1 Peter 4, 14 and 15, he reminded believers that their, their testimony was to be above reproach. He said, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. He's saying it's okay if you're reproached for the cause of Christ. But don't let other people accuse you of murder, theft, evil doings, and being a busybody into other men's matters. So is prying into someone's life, being just a little bit nosy, a minor sin? Look at how he, he lists them with, with murder, those who steal, those who are involved in all kinds of evil. This is a serious thing. A busybody is a meddler. A person who looks carefully into the affairs and the possessions of others. The word Peter uses here is a compound word. One, episkopos, it's one for an elder or bishop. He's to oversee, he's to look over. And then uh, the, the other is alatrias, which is another person, not their own things. Most of us are aware of those neighbors who constantly are peering out from behind their blinds, wanting to know what's going on in the neighborhood, wanting to be in on the latest gossip. And believers have that same compulsive desire to know everything that they can about everyone. And we generally hear the excuse, well, I shouldn't say this, but I, I need to let you know so that you can pray for them. 
If someone tells you that, just say, okay, let's pray for them right now. And in order to get that prayer request exactly right, let's give them a call and find out uh, how we can pray for them. I've seen a sign in the hospital elevator that says, respect patient confidentiality. That would not be a bad sign to put up in most of our churches. So the busybody is a gossip, but James is talking about something different. He's talking about slander. Gossip is talking about someone. Slander is talking against someone. Kata laleo, it's to speak against a person. It literally means uh, to say against. Slander is something that destroys someone else by maligning their, their character or reputation. Paul wrote in Colossians 4 verse 6, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Seasoning with salt isn't dumping the whole salt shaker on your meal. Uh, You'll find that that ruins it. Our speech should be gracious. When we talk about others, we should do it with love, with kindness, with a desire not to tear down, but to build up, to edify. Who is it that's involved in this evil speaking? James specifically uses these terms now. He's left them out in the first 10 verses, but in verse 11, he picks it up again, a common term, brothers. brothers. He says, brethren, brother, and brother. And so he's talking about speaking evil against uh, another Christian. The reason for the command, James explains why we're not to do this, and he does it in very logical steps. I love the way this this passage unfolds. Don't speak evil of another brother. That's the command, the imperative. The reason why, if you do, then you're judging your brother. And if you speak evil and judge your brother, then, notice the if then, then you're actually speaking evil of the law and judging the law. And if you judge the law, then you're not someone who obeys the law because you've put yourself above the law. You're judging it. Furthermore, there's only one lawgiver who's able to save and to destroy. It's God who's the lawgiver, not you. And what's his law? James describes it in chapter 1, verse 25, as the perfect law of liberty, or the law that brings liberty. In chapter 2, verse 8, he refers to it as the royal law, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. So, if you're critical of your brother, then you're critical of the law, which says to love him. And if you're critical of the law, you're actually criticizing the one who gave the law. So, slandering your brother is slandering the law. And when you do that, you're slandering the lawgiver, who is God. And so, the conclusion in that section, who are you to judge another? Don't speak evil against your brother in Christ. What James is basically saying is, You don't have the right to judge. That's God's business. Stop setting yourself up as the lawgiver and as the judge. That brings us to a a great question. Is it ever okay to judge? There are many who, in response to James' instructions here about evil speaking, think, well, I'll never say anything about anybody. That way I won't break this this, uh, command that he's saying here about speaking evil. But we do have scriptures that tell us about the responsibility to judge some things. 1 Corinthians 2.15 says that he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Judgment is necessary, but there's a good way and then there's a bad way, an evil way to judge. Good judging we would consider helpful discernment. But judging that is destructive is, is what he's talking about here in James. There's 
constructive criticism, there's also destructive criticism. In Matthew 7, 1, probably one of the verses that I hear the unsaved quote most often, besides John 3, 16, is judge not that ye be not judged, Matthew 7, 1. Jesus, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, is saying, uh, he, he's saying you, can't, you shouldn't condemn other people. But he is saying that you ought to first get your own life right before you can help someone else by discerning the, the, the beam in your own eye needs to be taken care of before you can help him with the sliver in his. But he's saying don't, don't just walk away and not help him get the sliver out of his eye. You want to help that person, but first make sure that you're right with the Lord. The same chapter, Matthew 7, he warns them, Beware of false prophets, which come unto you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Well, how do you know there is a false prophet if you don't make that judgment, that discernment? Paul tells us in the future we'll judge uh, angels. How much more now? 1 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. So when is judging good? When is it necessary? Uh, when we're judging to bring about righteousness, confession of sin, making things right with God in our own life or in someone else's. When is judging wrong? When we're criticizing in order to tear down. So slander is evil speaking, wrongful judgment, judging. It, it may be intentional or it may be something that you just don't even think about. But slander can destroy a person. Do we warn others? Yes. Speak the truth in love. Help them on the right path. Do we say things that are hurtful? Never. I think the overall biblical teaching about slander and evil speaking isn't that we're not only to not slander or speak evil of other believers, but of anyone. There's a young family living a very happy life in, the, in a town in North Dakota. The neighbors knew that even though the young mother had not been entirely well since the birth of her second child, they were happy, they were content. The wife and the children would meet dad when he came home in the evening from work. Laughter would echo from the backyard. The kids were playing when the weather was nice. Then one day, someone started a story about the father being unfaithful to his wife. The gossip spread through the town. It was totally false, it was unfounded. But when it came to the ears of the young wife, it was more than she could handle. And the husband came home one night and found that his wife had taken her life as well as the lives of their, their two children. A gossip's tongue, an untrue story, a terrible tragedy. Gossip, slander, speaking evil of one another should have no place in our lives as believers. What do you do when you find out someone was slandering you, talking evil about you? Number one, you lovingly talk to the one who's spreading the lies. Number two, you remember it's only important what God says about you. Number three, you leave everything in his hands. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you're worse than he thinks you to be. <laughs> George Whitfield, evangelist of the 18th century during the Great Awakening, said this, Let the name of Whitfield perish. But Christ be glorified. Let my name die everywhere. Let even my friends forget me. If by that means the cause of the blessed Jesus may be promoted, I'm content to wait till the judgment day for the clearing up of my reputation. And after I'm dead, I desire no other epitaph than this. Here lies G.W. 
What sort of man he was, the great day will discover. (laughs) Another sin of the tongue is covered in the next verses, 13 through 17. Evil rejoicing or boasting. Three reasons why we shouldn't boast. Boasting here is not necessarily, as I said, saying something to make yourself look better. The Bible clearly teaches that that's wrong. Proverbs 27.2 says, Let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. James is referring to something different when he says in verse 16, But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. He's talking about living your life without the knowledge of God's will, without the purposes being worked out in your own life. And in verses 13 to 14, he says basically life is too short to boast. The plans go to now ye that say today or tomorrow will go into a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Their calendar was all set, today or tomorrow. They had that specifically decided when they were going. Their destination was chosen. They decided where they were going. Uh, The best place to trade was in this certain city. The length of the stay was planned. We're going to continue there for a year. They decided how long they're going to be in this city uh, with, with this job venture. The profit was anticipated. Buy, sell, and get gain. They decided what they were going to do. And when you look at that, you say, what was wrong with anything that they're doing here? Nothing. It's good to make plans to do something and to do something productive. Nothing wrong with that. What's the problem? Verse 14, they were leaving God out of their plans. They forgot him. Lehman Strauss calls this practical atheism. That is, I say that I believe in God, but the way I live my life from day to day, you'd never know it. Verse 14, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Here's a startling observation. Tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. And now a thought-provoking question. What is your life? People have asked that for a long time. In Psalm 90 and verse 10, the Bible says the days of our years are threescore and ten, seventy. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their labor and sorrow and it's soon cut off and we fly away. Seventy to eighty years. Jeanne Calmon from France was born in February 21st, 1875. She died on August 4th, 1997. She was 122 years old. Her age was well documented. She still had her birth certificate. She was also listed in 14 different census records. Scientists tried to determine the secret of her long life. Her diet wasn't anything that would be really healthy. For years, she ate two pounds of chocolate every week. I'm going to try that. (laughs) She walked and rode her bicycle through the streets of her town until she was 100. When she was 110, she said, I had to wait 110 years to be famous. I intend to enjoy it as long as possible. At 120, a reporter asked her what kind of future she expected. (laughs) She said, a very short one. Even if you live to be 100 or more, life is short. And so we have a startling observation, a thought-provoking question, what is your life, and then a very real conclusion. 
Every lifespan is short compared to eternity. What's God telling us? He's saying, what kind of plans are you making? Do you measure your life by events that are on your, your day planner, in your, in your smartphone, your hobbies, your interests, your entertainment, the things that you, you really need to do? I've got to get this done. Your most important question or consideration ought to be, what does God want me to do? All your plans for tomorrow could end quicker than you think. What have you done for Christ? The boasting here is the presumption that you're in control of your life. And in reality, God is. The Bible says in Proverbs 27.1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Life's too short to boast. Don't presume that you're in control. Remember that God is. And live every day for him, for his glory. Real joy should be in Christ's plans, not your own. Verses 15 and, and 16. Verse 15, for ye, that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now, 16a, ye rejoice in your boasting, all such rejoicing is evil. So the right perspective, his will, if the Lord will. It's not a phrase that we insert into our conversations to sound spiritual. Oh, God willing, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. God's in control of everything. Even Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will, but thine be done. So his will, his gift, we shall live. None of us are guaranteed another day. Every day is a gift from God. And we live it the best when we give it back to him and say, how do you want me to live this day? His service and do this or that. Don't measure your life by those random deeds that you feel like doing. Let all your activities be what he has for you. Fill your days doing his will. And then the second half of verse 16, but now you rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. That kind of pleasure, that empty joy, is, that false joy is, is called evil joy. And boasting is sin. Verse 17, therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. The context here is sin, leaving God out of the picture, leaving God out of your life, practical atheism. Sin is not doing God's will, knowing the good that I should do, but not doing. Evil, evil speaking, slander, and boasting, living without God in your life, is easier perhaps to identify in others than in your own life. As we prepare to observe the Lord's table, this is a time that God designed for the church to stop and remember his death until he comes. His body was given as a sacrifice in your place. His blood was shed to cover your sin. The only means of redemption was, self, was his blood. This is a time when we're told in the Bible to examine ourselves. So as you think, is there anything that's between you and the Savior? Are there any unkind words? Any boasting of your own life, leaving God out of your plans? Any sinful actions or attitudes that displease him? Let's make sure as we, as we observe this table that we are in communion, we are in fellowship with him. And if there are those things that are not quite right, examine yourself. Make it right, 
and enjoy these elements and the memory of what Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us at this time to consider not just this passage we've been through, but all of Scripture, and leave our hearts open to the searchlight of your word that you would reveal those things that are not right. Reveal those things that are missing in our lives that should be there. And help us to confess those things and enjoy the fellowship that this table represents, the fellowship that we have with our sins confessed and living in fellowship with Christ, we ask in his name. Amen.